Well, good morning, everybody. Before we get into the message, I want to put one more thing on your radar that's coming up this summer. Uh, I'm very excited about this. I feel very passionate about this, but we are, uh, Pastor Tim Ayers and I are going to be hosting and teaching uh, what we are very uncreatively calling a husband's retreat. Uh, We are focusing on what Scripture has to say about being a husband who loves their wife with self-giving love, servant-hearted nature, all that stuff. We're going to look at being uh, self-giving in our marriages. So this is for husbands, obviously, or if anybody maybe wants to be a husband or is is engaged or something like that, this is an opportunity for you as well. Uh, We're going to connect around tables with other men. There are going to be some activities. We'll have food. It's going to be, it's going to be a really, really good time. And men, I challenge you uh, to consider making this a priority. It's going to be Friday, July 21st. You'll get a lot more details in the weeks to come. Signups and all of that will come. I just wanted to get that on your radar now. Be thinking about it. Be praying about it. Uh, this could be a significant opportunity to take the next step in your marriage. So that's coming up. Uh, before we get in, let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll uh, start the message. Father God, I invite you into this moment, into this space. Uh, thank you for the beautiful day that we have today, and I pray um, that, that as we turn our attention now to, to your word, as we look through the words of Scripture, uh, I pray that our hearts would be prepared for what you have to say. As I preach, I ask that I would just disappear and that your Holy Spirit would remain, and I pray that we would all have, have ears to hear what it is that you have for us today. I pray all this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, this is the third week in our sermon series, Threads, where we are looking at uh, literary images or literary concepts that weave through the entire Bible. That's what this series is. It's kind of different. We're not looking at like one passage of Scripture. We're looking at many of them. And and, uh, the idea here is to equip you. We want to equip you to be able to study the Bible on your own and to get uh, something that goes into your mind when you start seeing these biblical threads. I want you to have ideas pinging in your mind. Like uh, we talked about the tree of life the first week of the series, how that thread weaves through the Bible. We also talked last week about the chaotic waters of the sea. Uh, So my idea here is, is that now, after last week, for example, if you are reading scripture and you come across a passage that talks about the sea or Leviathan, You'll have ideas about about God bringing order out of the chaos of our world, the chaos of your world, the chaos of of our lives. Hopefully that's what starts happening to you as you consider these biblical threads. Now, I've I've said this before, but the, the threads that we see through Scripture, these literary threads, they don't all mean the exact same thing every time you see them because the threads are dynamic. Sometimes they are in conflict with one another. Sometimes they're, they're reinterpreting the way that the thread was used before. It's a dynamic, it, it's art, and it's really, really provocative when you see how it's drawing us into the story. So I'm geeking out in this series. Again, it's very different, but um, hopefully it's fruitful for you as you look into your own study of Scripture. Now, I thought the last two weeks were really difficult to preach uh, because I was trying to take massive concepts that, that, and dozens of passage, passages and try to cram them into what felt to me like a very, very short message. I'm sure it doesn't feel the same way to you. You're probably like, come on, let's get to lunch. But, but, but whatever. For me, it felt like it was an impossible task to get that all into 30 minutes. Well, today I'm talking about sheep. 
all right? And I got to tell you, this is even more impossible because there are over 700 verses in the Bible that talk about sheep or shepherds or pastures in one form or another, okay? 700. Suffice it to say, we're not going to look at all of them today. So don't worry. You are going to get to lunch, all right? We're not going to, to all of them, but we're going to do our best to look at how this very significant thread of sheep and shepherds weaves through this, as we're calling it, a library of scrolls, right? It's not a book. It's a library of scrolls. So how does it weave together? At the end of the day, at the end of this message, hopefully you'll see that, that this idea of sheep and shepherds draws us into a conversation to reflect on the love and the compassion of our God. All right, before we look at anything in the Bible, I want to talk before we do that uh, about two concepts that relate to the world behind the text. That's what we refer to the, the world of the biblical authors, the, the culture and the, the worldview of people who would have first heard or read these scriptures in, in the ancient world. It's helpful to, to pay attention because their culture, their worldview is often very different than our own. So the world behind the text. Uh, first thing, why sheep? Like, why is this such a big deal in the Bible, right? That's, a, that's probably a pretty fair question. Well, in the ancient world, sheep were a very significant part of the economy. They, they provided uh, wool, meat, and milk, and they were just—everybody they were everybody had sheep because it was a really, really significant thing to raise uh, for all the different benefits that they would get from them. In fact, there are some uh, archaeologists that would say it seems like sheep were the, actually the first animal that was domesticated by humans, or at least one of the first, because of their significance and all that they offered. And in Israel, in, in the Judean hill country, as it was called, they were even more significant because uh, Judea was actually a very arid place, pretty dry, and so there wasn't a lot of—it was really hard to get uh, staple crops. Like if you were on the Euphrates River, like Babylon or, or the Nile River, like Egypt, you could grow staple crops pretty easily because you had a, an abundant source of water. But in Israel, rain was hit or miss. It was, it was difficult. And so sheep were a great alternative as an economic backbone because what do you do with sheep? You can take them anywhere there's any kind of greenery. You can take them out to the scrubland and they'll eat whatever greenery they find and then they'll have babies and your wealth will grow. So it it was a great thing for people in Israel to have sheep. And all you had to do was make sure that they were safe and protected and, and move them from place to place to make sure they've got greenery and, and you're good. You've got more sheep. Your wealth, your wealth grows. So, okay, that's the first thing we have to just remember. Sheep were a very important part of the ancient economy, all right? They, they were significant. The other thing I think is helpful to understand about sheep is the fact that they are prey animals, prey animals as opposed to predators, right? Now that's obvious. Sheep aren't predators. They're prey animals. But, but understanding what it means to be a prey animal is helpful, I think, in understanding why the biblical authors talk about sheep the way that they do. Um, so this is something I've been learning firsthand. Uh, my wife and I have a small animal rescue farm. And if you didn't, haven't heard about this, we've got, uh, we've got domestic rabbits. We've got some potbelly pigs. We've got some chickens. Um, and, and, you know, they're all kind of prey animals. So we're learning about their behavior. We don't have any sheep yet, perhaps. But we did the other day uh, transport a sheep in my Prius <laughs> uh, to Oinking Acres. It was, we were just kind of being the go-between. And, uh, and so, you know, that happened. And that poor car has been through a lot, <laughs> that poor car. Um, anyway, what we've learned, what we've learned, what I've learned uh, about prey animals 
is that they actually have a very specific set of behaviors that, that grow out of their relative vulnerability. For example, they're very social creatures. Prey animals in general are, are very social creatures. They bond with one another closely. They have finely tuned social hierarchies. They, they develop strong, trusting ties with their caretakers and so on. This is how they survive in a hostile, dangerous world. They do it together. So that's, that's a significant thing. Also, prey animals, just in general, they startle really easily. They just do. They kind of don't have fight or flight. It's kind of just flight. That's how prey animals operate. This is one of the reasons that sheep have a reputation, unfounded reputation, that they're dumb. Uh, they have this reputation of being dumb because when they're scared, what do they do? They'll run off. Sometimes they'll get caught somewhere that they shouldn't be or they'll, the whole flock will go the wrong direction or something like that. And so people are like, oh, dumb sheep. They're not actually dumb. They're very, very intelligent creatures. But in a hostile, dangerous world, their bodies are finely tuned to get them away from danger. That's what they do. That's how they survive. They are prey animals. Okay? Now, I tell you all this because most of us today don't have herds and flocks to, to care for. That's not a part of our day-to-day -day lives. But in the ancient world, that was a very normal thing. Everyone who was reading the Bible in the original ancient world would have understood these concepts about prey animals, and they would have seen sheep all over the place. All right? So, that's the world behind the text. Let's get into the actual text and, uh, and talk about what the Bible says about sheep. And by the way, we're going to look at a lot of different passages. Feel free to skip around in your own Bible, or I'll put the passages up on the screen. I know this is a little, like I said, a little different than usual. Okay, so the, the overriding sort of baseline concept that we have to understand to, to, at the outset is this, is this. We, as the metaphor goes, we are God's flock, and He is our shepherd, Okay, that's the baseline, the, the way that the biblical authors think about sheep. This is how they describe the relationship that, that, that we, God's people, have with our Creator, with Yahweh. It's everywhere. For example, Psalm 100. Acknowledge that the Lord is God. He made us, and we are His. We are His people, the what? The sheep of His pasture. Or Psalm 95. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker, for He is our God. We are the people He watches over, the flock under his care. Now, th this makes pretty good sense as a metaphor, doesn't it? Because when you understand the nature of, of sheep as prey animals, it's a great illustration for, for people. I mean, because just like sheep, we live in a hostile, chaotic world, dangerous, right? We are vulnerable. And, and just like sheep, we are often afraid. We're dependent. We're dependent on a shepherd or a leader to guide us. And so this, this metaphor, it really clicks. It works well to describe us. This is how God cares for us as, as the shepherd. And I love, I love the way that the prophet Isaiah describes this because he kind of thinks that you're going one direction, then he flips the corner. He says, says, yes, the sovereign Lord is coming in power. Right? He's a warrior. He will rule with a powerful arm. See, he brings his reward with him as he comes. And then we flip a corner. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will carry the lambs in his arms, holding them close to his heart. He will gently lead the mother sheep with their young. I love that. You think, yeah, he's a warrior and he's holding baby lambs. He's a, he's a warrior shepherd. That is the, the God that we serve. He watches over his flock. He will protect us. He will be the one who leads us to green pastures and so on. Are you with me? That is the baseline idea for sheep in the Bible. But the biblical authors, 
they take this thread and they, they take it in some, some new directions. They develop it as, as the Bible goes on. Um, because it, in, in Scripture, as you quickly see, it's not just God who is the shepherd of the people. There are other shepherds uh, of the people as well. God gives others responsibility to shepherd his flock. Like King David, for example. If you know the story, you know King David was originally an actual shepherd, and he watched over sheep, and then he became the king over Israel. And when that happened, God expanded his calling. Um, Psalm 78, he chose his servant David, calling him from the sheep pens. He took David from tending the ewes and the lambs, and he made him the shepherd of Jacob's descendants, God's own people, Israel. So right here, you see God has entrusted his flock to human leaders like David. Now, this is all well and good when Israel's kings and Israel's priests and the other leaders are godly and just, right? It's, it's okay. God can entrust his flock to others. But what happens when the leaders, the rulers of the people are not just, when they're corrupt, when they're evil? Well, that is what the prophet Ezekiel picks up on, and he's got this, this searing prophecy in chapter 34 that, uh, about the, the leaders of Israel who were failing in their task. And, and listen to this. I mean, it's intense. He says this, "'What sorrow awaits you shepherds who feed yourselves instead of your flocks? Shouldn't shepherds feed their sheep? You, you drink the milk, you wear the wool, and you butcher the best animals, but you let your flocks starve.'" You've not taken care of the weak. You have not tended the sick or bound up the injured. You have not gone looking for those who have wandered away and are lost. This is what the sovereign Lord says. I now consider these shepherds my enemies, and I will hold them responsible for what has happened to my flock. I will take away their right to feed the flock, and I will stop them from feeding themselves. I will rescue my flock from their mouths. The sheep will no longer be their prey. Oof. Again, that's pretty intense. You shepherds, you're, you're starving your flock and you're fattening yourselves. And now you're my enemy, says God. All this to say, as the tension in the biblical story is building, what you see pretty clearly is, is this sort of aching realization that human leaders continue to fail. They continue to fail and bring more injustice into the world. The people of Israel, God's flock, they need good shepherds to lead them, but it's becoming pretty clear as you move page after page that pretty much only God seems to be the one qualified to do the job. He seems to be the only, the only shepherd who's actually capable of caring for his people the way that they meant, they're meant to be cared for. All right, so hold that thought in, in your mind, just that, that idea that of waiting for, for, for God to be probably the only one who can really shepherd his people. Hold that thought, because we now have to look at a completely other thread, element of this thread, um, which shows up all throughout the Bible, and it's this. Throughout the biblical narrative, sheep are a substitute for sinful humanity. All through Scripture, we see sheep sacrificed for the sins of humans. And because sheep are innocent creatures, because they're guiltless, in the ancient mind, sheep could take the place of sinners. This was the way that they understood the world. For example, in Exodus, when God is rescuing the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt, uh, they each family sacrifices a sheep and puts its blood on the doorposts of their homes to protect them on Passover. 
That was uh, part of their story. During uh, the Day of Atonement, which Yom Kippur every year, uh, a perfect ram, spotless ram, was sacrificed as a burnt offering for the sins of the whole nation. That was just a part of their, of their, their annual tradition. And throughout the year, individual Israelites would sacrifice sheep to atone for their own sins. You know, sheep would, would, would be sacrificed for them. Uh, the process, it's a little awful, a little gruesome, but one of the things that they would do is they would put their hand on the head of the sheep as if to say, this sheep is me. This spotless ram is me. And then they would take its life and they would burn its body on an altar and the smoke of this innocent creature would rise up to heaven. In other words, going up into God's presence in a way that we sinful humans could never do. That was the way that the, the, the sheep represented and substituted for sinful humanity. This was a part of ancient, ancient Israelite culture. Now look, I'm not defending the practice of, of animal sacrifice. Obviously, if I'm driving sheep around in my Prius, right, I'm not a huge fan of, of sacrificing animals at all. But this was a huge part of their culture. If we want to understand the world behind the text, we've got to understand this whole sacrificial system. This is what the biblical authors are trying to communicate. The people need a sacrifice because our sin has separated us from our shepherd. And to the Israelites, sheep were seen as a suitable substitute. But were they? Were they actually a suitable substitute? As I mentioned, the, the biblical threads here, these are dynamic threads. And what you start to see as Scripture goes on is, is that some of the biblical authors, especially the prophets, they start to question this whole concept. They start asking these questions. Is sacrificing sheep really going to be enough when the people seem just so desperately corrupt and sinful? Is, is, is the sacrificial system enough? The prophet Isaiah, for example, he suggested that what we really needed, what the people really needed, was a, not a sheep, but a righteous human to be a sacrifice. A servant of God who is innocent like a lamb, guiltless like a, like a ram, but who would take the sins of the people on himself as a substitute. Isaiah 53, but he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We've left God's paths to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. Now, I know exactly where our minds go when we hear Isaiah 53. I know, we, I know exactly what we're all thinking about. But remember, guys, this was written probably around 550 B.C. What that means is that for centuries, for centuries, the people of Israel were beginning to understand that they needed a greater substitute for their sins. But they had no idea, no idea if or when such a selfless servant would ever be able to take their place. That was the tension that, that brought the Old Testament to a close. So as we come to the New Testament, we have these two 
threads, these unresolved threads that are weaving through this concept of sheep. One, we've got this, this realization that God himself may be the only shepherd who's actually up to the task of, of shepherding his flock. He's probably the only leader who could really handle the job. And the other thread is that we need a greater substitute than just these sheep that keep dying for our sins. We need something else, someone else to take our place. So we, we have these two threads, and you see where they're leading, obviously. It is Jesus. It's Jesus, but not in a, oh, it's church, so the answer's always Jesus kind of way. I'm talking about the fact that there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of passages about sheep and shepherds, and they all point to Jesus Christ. All of them do. And this is the kind of thing that, that gets me so geeked out. I love this stuff because suddenly the whole Bible starts humming. It comes alive when you see all these threads connecting. For one thing, for one thing, Jesus calls himself the good shepherd. He takes on himself the, the, the mantle of God. The, that warrior shepherd from Isaiah, that's Jesus. He sees us as his flock. He has compassion on us. Uh, Matthew 9, when he saw the crowds, Jesus had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. You see, Jesus stepped into the role as the shepherd because the people, us, we are his flock. Now, why could he do that? How, how could he do that? Well, because he is God walking among us. He is the chief shepherd who loves us as the God of the Old Testament loved us with unfailing love. They're one and the same. And he is going to make right what those failed shepherds of Israel got wrong. Remember that prophecy from Ezekiel 34 with those evil so-called shepherds neglecting and, and eating the flock? Well, Jesus understood himself as a fulfillment of that passage. Listen to this. God says this in, in Ezekiel 34. I myself will tend my sheep and give them a place to lie down in peace, says the sovereign Lord. I will search for my lost ones who strayed away, and I will bring them safely home again. I will bandage the injured and strengthen the weak. That's what God says in Ezekiel. Here's what Jesus says in John. The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give my flock a rich and satisfying life. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. I know my own sheep and they know me just as my father knows me and I know the father. So I sacrifice my life for the sheep. See, Jesus is the good shepherd that the people have been waiting for. He's putting the, the, the flock's needs above his own, unlike those corrupt shepherds who came before. But right here in that, in that passage we just read, we see the real twist. The real twist, yes, he is the shepherd we've been waiting for, but he is also the sacrificial lamb. He is the sinless one, like in Isaiah 53, who would take the sins of the people on himself. Having done nothing wrong, being blameless, Jesus would die to save his flock. Because of his sacrifice, because of his substitution, we are not defined by our sin and shame anymore. And we're not constantly slaughtering sheep to try to make right our sinful rebellion. No, we can now enter into God's pastures once again. We can enter in for free because Jesus took our place on the cross once and for all. The whole New Testament just echoes with this concept. 
For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors, Peter says. And it was not paid with mere gold or silver which lose their value. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. He was the sacrificial Lamb who was also the good shepherd. And the author of Revelation picks up on both of these threads. For the lamb on the throne, the sacrificed lamb, will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of life-giving water, and God will wipe every tear from their eyes. As I said before, all these threads about sheep and shepherds, they come to their fruition in the person of Christ. Jesus is the good shepherd. And Jesus is the lamb who was slain. He's both. And because these two truths come together in the way they do, we can have confidence in something. We can have confidence that we are safe under our good shepherd's care. Yes, this world is is chaotic. It's terrifying. It's a mess. We are like prey animals at the mercy of the world's brokenness, death, pain, violence, injustice, you name it. Everything in us wants to flee, right? We want to get out of here. That's that's how we're wired with the evil around us, with the evil within ourselves, the chaos of our world. But our good shepherd is here. He's here. He has made us spotless, and he will lead us home. Our job is not to save ourselves. We don't have to save ourselves. Our job is just to listen to the good shepherd's voice, to trust in him, and to follow the one who knows the way to greener pastures. That's all we have to do. Listen, follow. Jesus is our good shepherd. Jesus is the lamb who was slain in our place. We are God's flock and the gates to his pasture are wide open. Now, I said before that sheep are mentioned in the Bible hundreds of times, 700 plus times. Obviously, we just now barely scratched the surface, right? What did we look at, like like 12 passages? That was not enough. I hope at least we made a dent for you in your thinking about sheep as you look through the scriptures, as you, as you see this, this pop up, I think I did, I did like a calculation. I put this in the app notes. I think 2.5% of all verses in the Bible are about sheep or shepherds, all right? So hopefully as you start reading scripture, you'll, you'll have some of these ideas popping through your minds. As we close today, though, what I want to do is I want to ask you to do two things. One, uh, every week in this series, I'm giving you a take-home passage. Yes, it's homework, and yes, I know it's summer break, and I'm sorry, students, but... I want you to go home sometime this week and just read a passage of Scripture that has to do with the thread we're talking about. And this week, that passage is John 21. Specifically, not the whole verse, but, or the whole passage, but specifically the part where Jesus reinstates Peter to ministry after Peter betrayed him. It's a, it's a really poignant passage. It's really powerful. John 21. But if you're up for a little bit of extra credit work, I would like to ask you to consider doing this. Before you read John 21, Read Ezekiel 34. That's the the whole corrupt shepherd passage that we were reading. Read that whole chapter. And then go and read Isaiah 53, the suffering servant. Read that passage and then read John 21. And tell me if it doesn't bring into new light a passage that many of us have read many, many times. It did for me. This past week, I saw a connection I had never seen before and it blew my mind. 
it might for you as well. I invite you to do that. John 21. By the way, I put all the passages that I just mentioned in the app notes. If you, didn't, if you weren't paying attention or you didn't capture them, it's all in the app notes. And I'll release a little video sometime this week so you can like hear my thoughts about that, all that. So it's coming. Okay, but here's what I want to do right now. We've done this every week so far in this series, but I, I, I've been trying to give you an opportunity to kind of inhabit this, this, uh, this thread each, each week. Because uh, as I've said, these threads, they don't just weave through the Bible, they also weave into our lives. They bring us in, they invite us to, to engage with them in different ways. So here's what I want to do. I want to just, if you are comfortable with it, if you want to, close your eyes, and I just want you to be a sheep for a second, all right? Just put your mind in, in the mindset of being a sheep and think about the, the issues and the things that you're facing in your life as, as sort of uh, using sheep as a metaphor, okay? So you're a prey animal, you're, you're dependent on your shepherd, you live in a terrifying world. Now just think about your life. Your, your life as a, as a person living in, in, you know, 2023. So think about your life as a, as a sheep. What are you afraid of right now? What are you afraid of? You're a prey animal. What gives you fear? What, what enemies, what predators are you facing these days? What hardships are you going through? as you consider the dry valleys and the wolves and being separated from the flock, as you, as you imagine those things that are terrifying of this existence, I just want you to practice putting your trust in our Good Shepherd. Put your trust in Jesus. Listen for His voice speaking to you as I read this passage. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid, for you are close behind me. Your rod and your staff, they protect and comfort me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life. And I will live in the house of the Lord forever. Well, Father God, our good shepherd, as we think about our lives, as we think about the, the pains that we face, the challenges that we're seeking to overcome, all of the, the, the things that would draw us into a, a gut reaction of self-sufficiency or, or just bailing out, I pray, Father, that you would give in us a stillness that comes from the confidence that we are not alone. Would you give us confidence that you as the Good Shepherd are here? And would you give us confidence, Father, that through your son Jesus, through his, his substitute as a sacrificial spotless lamb who took our place on that cross, would you give us confidence that we don't have to perform to earn your love? We already have it. Would you give us the confidence that the gates to your pasture are wide open and we can rock, walk right on in? 
Allow us to have confidence, Father. Even as we face the terrifying uh, world around us, would you give us that, that hope and that courage to trust that our good shepherd, the spotless lamb, is here. And it is in his name that we pray. Amen. Thanks for watching, but don't stop there. We want you to find community at Grace Church. And the first step in doing that is going to gracechurch.us slash hub. There you'll find other sermons, details about upcoming events, and other important announcements. And make sure you subscribe to our channel so you don't miss out when we post something new. Thanks again for watching. We'll see you next time.